Hi there, this is Edwin Crozier with the Franklin Church of Christ. Thank you for joining us as we open God's Word and study how to serve and glorify Him. 2006 is a turning point year for the Franklin Church of Christ. We began it with a very special lesson from Max Dawson, a gospel preacher from Beaumont, Texas, as he talked about four simple things every Christian can do to reach the lost. Open your Bibles and prepare to learn how to get the message of God out to others and bring them into Christ. Let me begin with a story, one that I think will set the stage for what we're going to say today. We're going to go back to 1995, to August the 19th. We're going to Detroit, Michigan. Reports say that it all began with a minor traffic accident, a lady named Delita Word. Delita Word, 33 years old, a native of Detroit. A little small woman, four foot eleven, weighed ninety-seven pounds. It all began with a minor traffic accident on a bridge over the Detroit River. She bumped into a fender of another car. It was bumper to bumper traffic that day. It was late afternoon. And three men in that other car got out and jerked her out of the car. The man who was driving the car called her several names and said, You're going to pay for this. And the lethal word that day paid with her life. The man was six foot three, almost 300 pounds, and beat that little lady. And there's con conflicting reports as to how she, how she got into the water. Some say that he threw her over the edge of the bridge. Others say that out of fear she ran and jumped. But she died on that summer day. The story ended with her body floating lifelessly in the Detroit River. It was a horrible crime, but as the story unfolds, there's another grim reality that came to life. All of this took place while... Forty bystanders had got out of their car and gathered around to see what was happening and what was going to happen. Forty people stood by and did nothing to save this poor woman. Yes, this is a story about how cruel we can be to one another. It's a story about barbarism. But it's also a story about apathy. Because nobody, but nobody helped delete the word that day. And I want to ask you a question. If you had been there on that bridge over the Detroit River, what would you have done that day? If you had been there in that crowd of 40, would you have acted? Would I have acted? Or would I have just stood by and watched? Oh, you and I weren't there. And so we had no chance, no opportunity to help this woman. But this raises a question about the opportunities that we do have. I want to present to you two indisputable facts. And these things are things that I know you will agree with. First of all, countless people around us are in grave danger. And the danger isn't to their physical being as it was with the lethal ward, but it's worse than that. They're in danger of being separated from God forever. That's the plight of the people in Beaumont, Texas, or in Franklin, Tennessee. That's fact number one. Fact number two is that God commands us to do something about it. But what, what can we do? Maybe there were some people on that bridge that day 
who asked that question. They stood and watched with horror what was going on, but they said, what can I do? Perhaps they wanted to help, but they weren't sure of how to act. And I think this problem hinders the soul-winning efforts of many Christians. We look at ourselves and say, what can I do? I want to reach the lost, but I'm not sure how. And so we ask this question, what can we do? And in the course of our study this morning, I'm going to present four very simple and very powerful things that we can all do to reach those who are lost. And this is something you can do. I don't care if you're 18 or if you're 88. You can do this. These four things are things that are not difficult to do. Typically, when we think about soul winning, we think about personal work. We think about, oh boy, this is going to be hard. Or, or maybe someone says, suggests, you know, what we need here at this church is a good personal work program. Let's get Edwin to put some material together, and for the next three months he's going to teach us all these lessons. And, and we look at that and say, yes, I want to do that, but I know it's going to be difficult. I'm going to have to develop communication skills, and I, I know I'm going to have to go through a lot of rigorous training. It's going to be difficult. Or maybe we just look at lessons like this and say, oh boy, here we are. It's going to be another guilt, guilt trip today. You know, I'm going to hear all this stuff about what I should be doing, and yet it's so hard for me, I can't do it. Folks, I want to put your minds at rest this morning and tell you in advance that what I'm going to present to you in the next few minutes, these four things are things that you can do, and they're easy to do. You just need to be conscious of these four things. You know, we already know all the verses, don't we? I mean, we, we know about Luke 19.10 where Jesus said that he came to seek and save that which was lost. And we know that's our mission, to seek and save the lost. We know about Matthew 28.19 and Mark 16.15, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. Go therefore, teach all nations, make disciples of all nations. We know all those passages. And yet we find evangelism to be something that's very difficult. And I don't know why we've done that. Because the four things I'm going to give you this morning are powerful things. They're easy things. Things you don't have to have a lot of Bible knowledge to do. You don't have to have been through some special program. You don't have to develop uh, big communication skills. These are simple things that you can do and things that you should do. And you should do them every day. And if you do them, it'll make a difference in reaching the lost. Someone says, well, quit talking about it, Max, and give us the four things. Okay, here we go. Let me just tell you that the first thing you've got to do is you've got to shine. You've got to shine. And what do we mean by that? Well, let's let the Scriptures answer the question. I'm going to Matthew chapter 5. I'm looking at Matthew chapter 5, and I want you to see verses 13 to 16. This is the Sermon on the Mount. You know this text. But listen to what Jesus says, and he's talking here about you. Oh, yes, it was 2,000 years ago, but by extension, this applies to you, to every disciple. He says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light... So shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And that's what Jesus says to you. He says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. And this will give glory to your Father in heaven. 
And so that's our first word that we're going to use. And what are we talking about when we say this? Well, we're talking about how that we live in a different way than the world lives. When we live God's way, our speech will be different. Our moral values will be different. The attitude that we carry in life will be different. And why? Because we follow God. That's why. Our priorities will be different. We're going to react differently in times of crisis and in times of problems. We're going to have better relationships with our spouses, with our kids, and with our extended family. And people will be able to see that we're not just like everybody else. You see, when we talk about shining, what we're talking about is that our daily lives must reflect the better way that Jesus offers. And I I am sure that you are convinced that the way of Christ is a better way to live. We're not like everybody else. But what I want you to see from this text we just looked at is that Jesus wants us to stick out. He wants us to show ourselves to be different from the rest of the world. He wants the world to notice notice us. We are to be like that city that is set on a hill. And he wants others, not just to see that we're different, but to see that his way is best. He wants our lives to draw lost people to, to him. And if you'll excuse me here, ladies and gentlemen, I'm fighting a little bit of a scratchy throat. I'm going to have to put a cough drop in my mouth. And if it gets any worse, brother, everyone's going to jump up and do like he used to do in, in Beaumont. He'd go get me a glass of water. <clears throat> but if you'll allow me to do this, you know, he's such a good boy. It's not always easy to preach with a, with a cough drop or a mint in the mouth. You may have heard about this one fellow that uh, his method of preaching was he'd put a mint in his shirt pocket, and when he got up in the pulpit, he would put that mint in his mouth, and he would preach until it was dissolved, and when it was dissolved, he would quit preaching. On this one particular Sunday, there was a button in his pocket, and he preached till he fell over in the pulpit. Well, excuse me for doing this. Turn in your Bible. To Philippians chapter 2, I want you to see what I think is one of the great passages of the New Testament on dealing with evangelism. Philippians chapter 2 and verses 15 and 16. And here the the apostle says some things that I think are really dramatic. And and notice, I want you to see verse 16 first. It, It says, holding fast the word of life. Another translation says, holding forth the word of life. Another says, holding out the message of life. It is the idea of extending to the world the message of the gospel. But notice what he says back in verse 15 and 16. Put these together. He says that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine, there's our word again, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I've not run in vain or labored in vain. He says, you shine as lights in the world, and when you do this, that's when you're able to truly extend the message of the gospel to the world. Why why is it that we live right? In in this text, he's talking about us living pure lives. But why do we live right? Is that for our own sake? Of course it's for our own sake that we live right. But we also live right for the sake of those people that we might influence, the people who are not yet Christians. Yes, we live right because we want God... We want God to accept us on the day of judgment. We want to show that we've been true disciples of Jesus and that we have submitted to his standards. But we also live right because we want our light to shine and to draw other people out of this dark world under the gospel 
of Jesus Christ. This is the starting point then. If I want to reach others, this is my starting point. And so I need to ask myself some questions. Does my life reflect the glory of Jesus? Is my light shining or have, have I been so contaminated by sin, so contaminated by sin that I've become salt that has lost its flavor and its power? Just being the people that God calls us to be helps to shine the light of the gospel in a lost world. And you can do that, can't you? I told you this was going to be easy. All you've got to do is let your light shine before men. And it's important that we do that, but that's not the end of our responsibility to the lost. Someone says, well, I like this so far, Max, this is good. I'll just be a good person, and lost people will come to me wanting to know about Jesus. But that's not quite the way it works. Someone may see your good works, and they may even give God the glory for what you're doing in your life, but they may never speak to you about it. And so someone has to speak first, and that's you. And so that brings us to our second word that we want to put on the chart. You need to speak. And one of the best ways and, and easiest is to salt our speech with references to God and our relationship to Him. Let folks know that He's the source of blessing in our lives. Uh, don't we naturally talk about the things that are important to us? Now, let me put my statement up here that I want you to, want to call your attention to. Spiritual things should naturally come out in our conversations with others, right? Natural. It should be. A, I mean, the things that are really important to you, you're going to talk about. Edwin talks about his kids all the time, doesn't he? Anyone here uh, a fan of the Tennessee Volunteers? Hold up your hand. There's only one. The young fellow back here. I can't believe that. Anyone a fan of the Tennessee Titans? Do you follow the Titans? Yeah, we got some of those. Yeah, you see, you, you're going to talk about how the Titans did this weekend or last weekend or whatever. Or you're going to talk about whatever it is that's important to you. You know, if you talk to me, you want to talk about cars. I love cars. I love auto racing. I love Corvettes. You know, and I talk about those things all the time. And you, you ask me a couple questions about who's your favorite driver in NASCAR, and I can talk for an hour about that. That's natural because it's what I'm interested in. Well, folks, if we're interested in God and interested in heaven, interested in the Word of God. It ought to be natural then that we talk about those things. Our speech ought to be filled with things about our relationship with God. And so what kind of things do I talk about? Well, let me give you some suggestions. What kind of things that we should say? We should, first of all, just talk about God's Word. You know, maybe there's some passage that Edwin will be preaching on tonight or maybe something that you've heard in the Bible class this morning and it has a relevant application in, in life. Tomorrow you're talking to someone on the job and, and they're talking, they raise a question about marriage and you say, you know, our preacher last night had something to say. He, he brought us a Bible verse about marriage that I think would, would answer that question. Talk about God's Word. That's the natural thing to do. In raising kids, how many passages in the Bible do we have that talk about raising kids and talk about solving problems in families? Share those with your friends at work. You can do that. That's not difficult. Share those with a neighbor. Share those with someone else in your family. Maybe the passage that you'd offer is the passage that would help them. But the second thing you can speak is to give God the glory for good things in your life or in mine. Try to find ways to honor God when maybe someone compliments you in your marriage. Earlier this morning, I met a couple sitting over here. They said they've been married for 60 years. Isn't that great? 60 years. We compliment 
And we honor couples who have been married that long because we live in a day when so many folks don't stay together. Oh, yes, they stood before a preacher and they said, I do, till death do us part. But when push came to shove, they didn't stay together like they were supposed to. But someone says to you, you know, you've been married how long? And you tell them how long. Wow, that's really something. And then you say, well, you know, we couldn't have done it without God. We've gone through a lot of tough times. And we've had some difficulties. But we decided to stay together because that's what God wants us to do. And God helped us to stay together. You see, you consult your speech with that sort of thing. If someone maybe compliments you on your kids, you say, listen, raising kids in this generation is not easy, but God gives us a lot of help in His Word. And my, my spouse and I are trying to follow God's Word in raising our kids. And then you can do this. You can let unbelievers know that we're praying for them. By the way, we'll have copies of the outline for the lesson this morning. We'll have copies tonight. I, I left them at Edwin's house this morning. But we, we had someone just a few months ago. It was back actually in the spring of the year. There was one of our men in the congregation who works at the mobile refinery. And he had a co-worker whose baby was deathly ill. And he asked the brother who was making announcements on a given morning, would you mention little India Piper in the announcements and have the congregation pray for her? And we even put her name in the little bulletin. And, and India Piper, little baby at the hospital, very, very ill. And this fellow goes back to work the next day and says, we prayed for your daughter yesterday and we're going to continue to do that. Well, that's interesting because his own church where he was attending, where his wife is even the church secretary, Nobody's saying anything about his daughter. But our congregation's talking about this little girl, and we're praying for her, and then some of our members go up and visit in the hospital. And I'll tell you, that impressed that man. That impressed him and impressed his wife. And when the little girl got better, he agreed to a Bible study. And he and his wife both obeyed the gospel. Both obeyed the gospel. I could tell you a whole lot more about that story and about more conversions that came from that. But I just want you to see at this point, tell the lost that we're praying for them. Maybe there's someone sick in their family. You hear about someone, someone at work that says, uh, you know, my wife is real sick right now. She's having surgery next Thursday. You just say, well, listen, I'll pray for your wife and I'll ask others at church to pray for her too. And people appreciate that. That says you care about them when you do that. And it will impact them. And then you can point people who are hurting, people who are grieving, point them to God and to His Word. Uh, let, them, let them know that if they've lost a loved one, that God cares about their grief and their sadness. And maybe give them a passage that will help them. And, and then you can do this. You can speak positively about things that are going on in your congregation. You know, I used to work in a factory. I used to work for General Motors. And guys would come in on... And I wasn't going to church anywhere at that time. But guys would come in on, on Monday morning and they'd talk about what went on at church yesterday. And it was interesting, some of the things that you'd hear. Oh, our preacher, well, he was preaching on money again. That's all he ever talks about. I am so sick and tired of him preaching on money all the time. Well, how long was this sermon? It was about 35 minutes. Well, that's better than my preacher. My preacher preached an hour and 15 minutes. I'm so sick of these long-winded preachers. Well, what great advertising that was for their churches. 
Do you want to go to that church where the, all they, the, where the members say all they ever preach on is money? Do you want to go to that church where the, the members say, our preacher is long-winded, I wish he'd be quiet? You don't want to go to that church. So what you need to do is you need to talk up your congregation. Speak positively about the singing here. You all have good singing. And you all have a great reverential spirit that permeates this assembly this morning. I appreciate that. You have one of the, and I say this without fear of contradiction, you have one of the finest young preachers you'll find anywhere. Edwin Crozier is not only solid in the faith, but he's a hard worker, cares, genuinely cares about people, and does a good job in his Bible classes and from the pulpit. We did not want this young man to leave us when he left us two and a half years ago. We wanted to keep him because we knew what a treasure we had in him. Well, you need to talk about him in the community and, and tell what a, what a great preacher he is. Uh, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Speak positively about the congregation. And then don't hesitate. Don't hesitate to say simple things that show your commitment to God. You know, someone reminded me late, just a, a couple of weeks ago, said, you know, there used to be a time when we'd say, Lord, will and I'll do this, Lord, will and I'll do that. And we sort of dropped that from our speech. I think we need to pick that up again. In fact, I've just done that all the way along on this trip. Someone says, well, where are you going next? And we left Texas last Sunday, right after Sunday morning service. Where are you going? Well, we're going to church in Arkansas tonight, if the Lord wills. And then we're going on to Indiana. And if the Lord wills, I'll be able to spend three days with my dad. And I'll be able to spend some time with, with Lee's folks. And on and on. But if the Lord wills. I think it's important that we pepper our speech with that. Someone says, uh, hey, how about you going bowling Wednesday night? With some of the guys. Can't do that. Not Wednesday night. That's Bible study night. And that's so important to me and my family. There's just so many ways that you can show your commitment to God in your speech. Now, what was hard here? There wasn't a single day hard about this. I told you these four things are going to be easy. The first one was to, was to shine. The second one was to speak. And this is easy stuff to do. There's nothing hard here. And so we've got to take advantage of these spiritual opportunities, open doors. As we speak then, here's a third thing we need to do. We need to... Here it comes. We need to invite folks to come to services. I want you to look in, in John chapter 1, verse 45 and 46. John 1, verse 45 and 46. Here you got the story of Philip and Nathaniel. John 1, 45. And Philip here is going to speak positively about Jesus, which is another thing we should do. And the Bible tells us in verse 45 of John chapter 1 that Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God. And Nathanael said to him, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Philip said, Well, I guess not. Forget it. You know, there was, you know what Nazareth was? Nazareth, another name for Nazareth was Stick Town. And, and there's probably some place around Franklin, around Middle Tennessee, that's kind of a, a low community. Uh, I know we've got a place near Beaumont. It's called Vider, Texas. And Vider has a terrible reputation of being bad people. And people there don't, uh, don't have good educations. And they're not just very good. They're just not very good people. That's the reputation. The reputation is undeserved. 
But that's the kind of reputation that Nazareth had. And, and, and it might be that there's some place here in Middle Tennessee that you say, well, well, you wouldn't want to be from that community because all those people over there, they're not very bright, they're not very good people, and so on. And that's the way it was with Nazareth. And, and so when Philip goes to his brother Nathaniel and says, hey, we found the one that the prophets have spoken of. We found Jesus of Nazareth. He's the one. He's the Messiah. Out of Nazareth? No, I don't think so. And so Philip says what? Philip says what to him? He didn't say forget it. He said, come and see. Come and see for yourself. And that's how we need to invite folks to come to services. Let's be like Philip. As we talk positively about spiritual things, let's invite others to come so that they can see for themselves. Invite them to hear. Invite them to spiritual activities that will give them an opportunity to see God's people in action, to hear God's Word, and to be with other Christians, and to see the impact of God on the lives of other people. Here's some specifics, okay? Here's some things you can invite people to. First of all, you can invite people to Bible class. Maybe you're, maybe you're talking to a friend that says, uh, well, you know, I'm really worried about the future. You know, I, I read this book, uh, Left Behind, and, and I don't know what's going to happen in the future. And you say, hey, listen, our preacher right now just started a new Bible class that's talking about things like Left Behind and talking about premillennialism. And, and it's a little different view than you may have heard. And why don't you come with me next Sunday and visit the Bible class and, and ask whatever questions you have of our preacher. You take advantage of that to invite folks to come. Or you can do this. You can talk enthusiastically about worship services. Invite folks to come and see for themselves. Listen, we have great singing here in our congregation. I want you to come and be a part of it. I want you to be my special guest this next Sunday. And you'd be amazed at how many people will come and do that. Be excited about a special series of lessons. I mentioned earlier that we've got this special series on the Holy Spirit coming up in just a few months. And with this special series of lessons, it would be a great time to say to someone, listen, I know you've had questions about the Holy Spirit. We've got a preacher coming from Texas, and he's going to present six lessons on the Holy Spirit, about who the Holy Spirit is, what He does, how He works. He's going to talk about the indwelling of the Spirit. He's going to talk about the miraculous gifts of the Spirit. Why don't you come, come to those lessons with me? And you'd be amazed at how many people will come. Listen, folks. 25% of those people across America who do not attend church services would come if somebody invited them. Someone once said, do you know why there are so many single women in America? Someone asked that question. Why are there so many single women in America? So many women who are still not married. And you know it's a very simple answer. They're not married because no one asked them. And there are, there are women in this, in this country who would get married if someone would ask them. And there are people who would come to church if someone would ask them. But nobody invites them. And we just assume they would never come. You know, we spend a lot of our time looking for Cornelius. We spend a lot of time looking for him. You know, Cornelius was a man, Acts chapter 10, who was a devout man, one who prayed to God always. He was kind and generous to the poor, giving alms to them. He taught his family about God. And, oh, conversion was, for him was so easy. All he had to do was to hear a little bit of gospel and be convinced that Jesus was the Christ, and, and he's baptized, and it's over. He didn't have to change his life very much. You see, Cornelius wasn't living in adultery, was he? 
And, and he wasn't, wasn't drinking whiskey. He wasn't gambling. He wasn't a liar. He wasn't a murderer. This is a morally good man. We look at the people around us and say, well, I'd like to invite Joe at work, but, you know, he's been running around with his wife, and there's no point in asking him. And, and then we've got some neighbors. Well, that lady down the street, you know, she, she drinks all the time, and there's no point in asking her. And then this guy I went to school with, he needs to be a Christian, but he's so dishonest and everything. And we, what we do is we start scratching these people off the list. We're still looking for Cornelius. Folks, Cornelius was converted almost 2,000 years ago. Leave him and go to somebody else. Jesus said, I didn't come to call the righteous. I came to call sinners to repentance. And what we're doing is we're looking for the righteous who don't need to make much of a change in their lives. Jesus is looking for sinners. And it's just so simple to just say, got this special series of lessons. Love to have you come to services. And you know what? We, yeah, you can invite people to special things like the Holy Spirit series that's up, upcoming. But you can also create special events. Create special events. You can do this yourself. It doesn't have to even be a church activity necessarily. You can create special events where you invite folks to come. Maybe there's, maybe there's a neighbor that you've got on your street, or maybe there's a co-worker that you work with in the plant or in the office that's got a son in Iraq, or a daughter in Iraq. And you say, you know, next Thursday night, we're going to get some folks together in our home to have a prayer meeting. And we'd like to pray for your son. And we'd like for you to be there. Who's going to turn that down? Who's going to say, oh, I wouldn't want to be somewhere where they're praying for my boy in Iraq? Who's going to turn that down? See, you can create a special event. And there's so many other things. Look at all the videos and tapes and things that are available today. You can say, hey, we got a, we're going to show a video at our house next Tuesday night on marriage. We'd love to have you come, you and your wife come and be with us. Or you could maybe have a group Bible study. There's just a thousand things you can invite people to do. But the, the easiest and simplest thing you can do is just to invite folks to come to services. We make special efforts to invite folks to come to gospel meetings. Why not make that same effort all the time? And what would happen if each member of this congregation would just invite one person to come every week? You know, I was in a meeting not far from here. In fact, it was down at Columbia. Uh, I was in a meeting, I guess it's been about three years ago, and they asked me to come and do a series on evangelism. And I talked about the power of an invitation and how that you look at everybody you see, everybody without exception, you look at everybody as a prospective convert. I said, even the checker at Walmart. That's a prospective convert. And the next day, I happened to be in Walmart. And I thought, you know, I've been telling these folks to invite the checker at Walmart. Maybe that's what I should do. Maybe I should invite them. And so I invited this young black lady to come to services. And she said, well, I think I'm going to come. And lo and behold, she showed up that night. She showed up 45 minutes late because she got lost. I should have had a little card that had a map to the place, but she got lost and went to the wrong place. And, uh, but she came, brought her son, and brought a friend. And so here are two adults and a child that come to the services. They showed up 45 minutes late. The service was almost over. But the, the folks were amazed. 
this is just a checker from Walmart. I mean, all you did was just ask her to come. Yeah, that's right, and she came. And you know what? The folks there received her warmly and her friend. And they invited her to come back the next night. And you know what happened? She came back the next night for the final night of the gospel meeting. You just got to talk to folks. You got to you got to invite folks to come, and don't don't put pressure on people to come. You know, I don't think it does a lot of good to say, you know, you've got to come because your life is not right with God. And while that may be true, their life is not right with God. If you say to them, you've got to come, and you've got to come tonight, your life is not right with God. If you're not there tonight, that's the end for you. Well, now you it's a life and death decision for them, and, and people don't respond well to that. You say, look, we're going to be studying the Bible tonight. The Bible has the answers that we're looking for. Why don't you come on and be my guest tonight? You'd be amazed. You see, 25% of those who don't attend would come if someone invited them. And that's the problem. No one is, in, is inviting them. Well, what do you do when they come? Well, here's what you need to do. Number four, you need to welcome them. And that is so important. We visited a church in another state on Wednesday night of this week. And I cannot tell you how many people we walked by as we came in that building. People in the parking lot, people in the foyer, people in the hallway, people in the pews. And we're speaking to some folks and they nod that we're there. They notice that we're there. But they're not introducing themselves to us. They're not speaking to us. And finally, one lady came up and said, Oh, you were here a couple of years ago. It's so good to have you come back again. Well, you know... Up until that moment, I did not feel welcome there. When you go into a strange place, you want people to make you feel welcome. Let me give you this scenario, and I'm going to use my good buddy Edwin, and I'll pick on him a little bit. Edwin says, hey, I'd really like you to come to my house tomorrow night for dinner. We're going to have a special meal, and I want you to be our special guest. Okay? And so, you say, what time? I'll be there. He says, five o'clock. Well, you get there a few minutes early, and one of the kids answers the door and says, come on in. Edwin's not home yet. He gets there five or ten minutes later, and he walks in the house and uh, doesn't acknowledge you. You're sitting there in the living room, but he pays no attention. He goes in, in the kitchen and spends ten minutes talking to Marita. And then he goes and plays with the kids for ten minutes. And then Marita says, the meal's ready, everybody come in the dining room. And you go into the dining room and you sit down. And Edwin comes in and looks at you with a frown that says, you've got my seat. How are you feeling so far? This is not going so well. He talks to his family at the meal, but barely acknowledges your presence. When the meal is over... He says to the kids, hey, let's go in the other room. Let's watch an episode of Lord of the Rings. And there you are, still sitting at the table. And after a little while, you get up and you just leave. How did you feel about this? You say, Edward didn't really want me there. And I promise you one thing, he can invite me back all he wants, but I'll never go to his house again because I did not feel welcome in his home. Now, brethren, I have to tell you that that sometimes happens in local churches. 
We, we ask people to come, and here comes someone in the door. They'll walk by ten people in the foyer. No one says a word to them. They come and they sit down by themselves. No one says a word to them. And even the person who invited them may show up for services late, may not even see that they're there, may not pay any attention, and the person comes and goes and has not felt welcome at all. We've got to then focus on welcoming people when they come into our assemblies. You may be the first person they see out in the parking lot. Listen, you know who's a visitor. I mean, if you're a long-time member here, you know who's a visitor and who's not. Speak to them out in the parking lot. Hold the door open for them when they come in. Speak to them in the foyer. Ask them to come and take it and be seated with you. If you're going to Bible class together, give them the Bible class material. Show them where we're studying in the Bible. There are just so many things that you can do. Make sure, we've got to make sure that those who come to visit us are warmly welcomed as honored guests. Let me show you the things you can do to welcome guests. Be sure to greet them and introduce yourself. And try to remember their name. Introduce them to other people. Take a moment to find out why they've come and what needs they might have. Uh, I think it's okay to ask, did someone invite you to come today? If so, I hope you find that person. Uh, uh, they're sitting over here. Or, or you can do this. You can show them every kind of courtesy you can. Be nice to them. Smile at them. Help them find a seat. Do the things that you would want to do if you were the guest. And then observe the ten-minute rule. The ten-minute rule is the rule that says after services, instead of me collecting with my friends over here in this aisle or collecting with my buddies over here in this corner and talking about the Tennessee Volunteers, I'm going to spend the first ten minutes after dismissal gathering around those visitors and talking to them, making sure they felt welcome, and I want them to come back, and so I'm going to talk to them about the next service. We hope you can come back tonight at 6 o'clock. Thank you so much for being here today. And if there's any way we can help you, we certainly want to do that. But for the first ten minutes after services, visit with the visitors. Now let's go back to Detroit. Back to that bridge. I don't know what I would have done back in August of 1995 if I'd been there on that bridge over the Detroit River. I don't know what I would have done. I like, to, I like to think in my heart of hearts that I would not have stood by and just been a bystander. But that's not really the question for me today. Because I wasn't there. There's no way I'm going to be there. The question for me today is not about what I could have done back then, but what I will do now. What I will do with the opportunities that I have to help the lost. These are four simple things. And there's nothing here that's difficult. But what you've got to do is you've got to be conscious of these things. Be conscious, first of all, of how your life affects other people. That's why we say shine. Be conscious of opportunities to speak. Conscious of opportunities to invite. And certainly conscious of opportunities to welcome folks into the assembly. You can do these things, can't you? Sure you can. Sure you can. And listen, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian... Let me tell you why we're talking about this. It's because you are valuable. Your soul has great value to God. Jesus said, what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? If your life is not right with God, 
we're, we're going to be very plain about it. We want to help you do something about that. We want you to learn about the Lord Jesus. We want you to learn about the new life that He gives because we want you to have that life. We want you to have that new life because He wants you to have that new life. Maybe you're here this morning, though, and you already believe in the Lord Jesus. And you understand that He is the Savior of the world. But you've never given your heart and life to Him. You need to repent of your sin. You need to confess His wonderful name. And you need to be baptized into Him. He Himself said, He who believes and is baptized will be saved. Mark 16, 16. If you want to do what He wants you to do today, He'll save you. He'll forgive you of every sin and give you new life. And then you can be a part of this army of the Lord that's going out trying to win the world. You need to respond to the Lord's invitation today. The Lord is inviting you to come right now as we stand and as we sing. Come now, please. I hope this lesson benefited you as you learned four simple things every Christian can do in order to reach the lost. Let's remember what we learned from our brother Max Dawson. One, we have to shine. Two, we have to speak. Three, we have to invite. Four, we have to welcome. You and I can do all four of these simple things to reach the lost. And then we'll be a part of God's great plan to get His gospel out to all mankind. Are you doing your part? I hope so. If you have any questions about the gospel message, about how you can be more involved in getting that message out to the lost, or about what we're doing at the Franklin Church of Christ to reach the lost, please give us a call at 615-794-2359. Or you can contact us through our website at www.franklinchurchofchrist.com. Perhaps somebody has given you this lesson on tape or on CD. If so, may I encourage you to head to that website I just mentioned. Again, it's franklinchurchofchrist.com. We have numerous lessons there that you're free to download, both in audio and outline format. Use them in whatever way you believe God will be glorified. May God richly bless you as you draw closer to Him.